All right, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Carl DeNaro, and he published in June 2021 a new book, which I read through. Really a fascinating book. The title of the book is The Son of Sam and Me, The Truth About Why I Wasn't Shot by David Berkowitz. And I've researched this case in detail. I know a lot about the process, Church of the Final Judgment. I included a long chapter about them in my book, Children of the Beast. And that's kind of uh, one of the groups that's involved or is alleged to be involved in some of these things. But uh, Carl DeNaro was right there in the mix and really uh, could not, was lucky to really be here. So I'm really delighted to have him. So Carl DeNaro, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, William. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. You were really one of the uh, victims of this uh, killing spree that happened in New York City. Can you talk about your background and kind of how this whole started and what led you to write this book, the son of Sam and me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a long question or I should say it's a long answer. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I was, um, going into the air force. My, uh, due date was October 28th to report, uh, to basic training and October 23rd, 1976, uh, I was, I was in a parked car with uh, with Rosemary Keenan, and uh, we had just started making out, and my life changed forever. Um, uh, I I didn't realize that I was shot um, immediately. I knew I was hurt. Um, you know, there was glass all over and glass shards in my uh, in my hands, and um, you know, I just uh, we had just we had just left uh, the local bar that I hung out in, and. Um, you know, when, when the windows were shot out, I, I told her to start the car up and, you know, let's get out of here. And, um, <clears throat> you know, she drove, she drove down the block and, um, uh, eventually we got back to, uh, the bar, uh, that we started at, um, I, I had passed out for like 10 seconds. And, uh, when I came to again, she was in a panic cause she didn't know where she was. Um, but being you know, it was my neighborhood, I knew I knew exactly where we were, and I directed her back to uh, <clears throat> Peck's Bar and Grill. Uh, I walked into the bar, and um, the doorman who knew me said, "You don't look too good." And I said, "I don't feel good. I think the car blew up." And um, with that, my uh, my long hair was holding in uh, the blood from a, a head wound. Um, so my friends. Uh, my friends, you know, brought me brought me to a Flushing Hospital emergency room, and um, I walked in under my own under my own power, which I, I still I look back and I I find that um, uh, kind of incredible, uh, you know. Certainly after the fact, knowing knowing what actually had happened to me, um, I had a <clears throat> I had a, a bull in the back of my head, um, and. Uh, yeah, I spent you know two out two hours in in the uh, emergency room, the the uh, <clears throat> the doctors picking out bone fragments and glass fragments out of out of the back of my head. Um, yeah, and yeah. then three months later, I I, I had to go back to uh, get a plate put in my head. Right. So you had this operation. So they made you stay at home to recuperate for quite some time. You were going to go into the military, so they had to you had to be in and out of the hospital. And what did you think happened actually that night? I mean, what do you think the, I mean, the first initial thing, you didn't know what happened, right? Yeah. So uh, the, the, like two hours after the shooting, um, 
I, <clears throat> a, a, a policeman asked me, uh, he said, you know, should I call your parents? And uh, so my dad lived upstate. And um, I said, no, nah, yeah, my dad lives upstate. And I said, wait, what time is it? He goes, four o'clock. And I'm like, God, I said, as long as I'm home by seven, um, my mother won't even know I was out this late. And that's when the, the uh, police officer said, you know, son, he goes, you, you were shot in the head. You're not going home. And that, that's my first rec- you know, that's my first recollection of, of, of knowing I was actually shot. Um, and again, I was in a hospital for like three weeks and then I was uh, had to recuperate uh, at my mom's house for three months um, <clears throat> until I went back uh, in January of 77 to uh, to get a plate and uh, put in the back of my head. Right. So, and at that time, what was the kind of general feeling in New York City about what, why these shootings were happening? Um, yeah. Well, I, I, okay. I, I was the second victim, so uh, of the Sunday Sam shootings. The first one being um, uh, July 29th, '76. Um, <clears throat> so there was the at, at by the, when I was shot, there was no Sunday Sam. There was no 44 caliber killer. Um, so the police were were operating under the uh, impression that it was a drug deal. Uh, you know, being I, um, being I had long hair, uh, I did smoke pot. Um, that they they just assumed it was a drug deal gone bad. Uh, I grew up in a, you know, people that remember are old enough to remember uh, New York City in 1976. Uh, you know, the city was on the verge of bankruptcy. There was, uh, you know, the Bronx was burning. Um, you know, the, the crime rate was, to, uh, was you know, through the roof. Um, but I have to say, in my little my little neighborhood, we, we really weren't affected by it. I mean, we knew what was going on. But again, it was a upper upper middle class neighborhood. Um, we didn't have any crime like that. So uh i guess it was logical for the cops to think it was a drug deal so of course my mother bought into the drug deal um story and uh because she you know as you know 20 year old and you know like i said you know long hair smoking pot out drinking um uh, so yeah basically i had to you know i had to uh, defend myself uh for six months Um, I kept telling the cops that it wasn't a drug deal. I don't know who shot me. I don't know why they shot me, but it certainly wasn't a drug deal. And uh, on March 10th of 77, the uh, the police commissioner and the, and, um, the mayor had a press conference um, saying that um, we have a serial killer on our hands. So that was an important date for me. Um, so it no, took a while for them to get to that conclusion, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I kind of felt vindicated uh, as, as of March, um, but like I said, it, it like I said in my book, it, it it opened up a whole new set of questions. You know, it's like, all right, now it's a serial killer. So you know, was it a random? Was it a random shooting? Is he going to come back and, and and finish off the job? Um, so it was, you know. It, I guess it was a little bit of relief that uh, that that you know I proved to my mother and the cops that it wasn't a, a, a drug deal. Um, like I said, now I'm de- now I'm dealing with uh, a serial killer. Right, and so then that I mean, can you describe the atmosphere of New York? You said it was a high crime, but once they realized it was a serial killer, it created 
and uh, kind of amount of terrorism that was really off the charts, right? Or paranoia. Yeah. It, it uh, again, um, it, it, until until this press conference on March 10th, um, you know, there was uh, at that point there was five five shootings uh, that they attributed to uh, the son of Sam, and um, that's that's when the mayhem really started. Up to that point, there were just individual, uh, apparently random shootings um, in uh, Queens and in Bronx, and um, you know, so there was there was no mayhem. Although the you know the son of Sam reign actually lasted thirteen months. The uh, the real mayhem uh, and the press really didn't start until that press conference, but from March 10th until August 10th, when they uh, arrested David Berkowitz, um, it was uh, it, it was a, a, certainly a crazy time. Um, I witnessed it firsthand uh, the last couple months because by June of '77, I was. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I was out and about. I, you know, I started working and uh, having a social life, and um, yeah, uh, it, and pe- people just lived in uh, in fear. And you kind of had some kind of infamy too, as one of the surviving victims, right? Um, yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> that was like the, you know, uh, again, uh, th- there's a few downsides to this uh, to this story. Uh, I mean, the up the upside is I'm here talking to you today. Um, but, um, one of the downsides was, um, the infamy that, that, that came with, uh, being a victim of a serial killer. Um, you know, I kind of like wherever I went, um, you know, that, you know, the, the whispers, I'd hear the whispers, that's the guy that shot my son of Sam. Um, and it got to the point where, um, it really got to be too much. And I felt, I felt like my, my whole personality was being, uh, pigeonholed into this uh, this this uh, victim role, so I uh, I quit my job, um, got rid of my apartment, and uh, I moved uh, I moved out to uh, California for a couple of years, and uh, I stayed there until for two years from 1980, and uh, by that time there was st- there was there was still press, but uh, the the real the real hubbub and buzz. Um, you know, Berkowitz uh, pleaded guilty. He was in jail, and um, it was a lot easier to handle. Uh, you know, um, hand, handle that infamy. Right, and you said you're really a New York person at heart, so that was always kind of pulling you back. When you were watching this whole progression to the Berkowitz and all of the murders, and when he was arrested, you thought at that time that that was he was the the killer, right? Like you were convinced that he was just the uh, one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, I kind of got all—not kind of—I, I, I got all my news uh, like everyone else, you know, watch, you know, reading the newspapers and and watching the news. Um, I didn't have any special uh, uh, inside information from uh, from law enforcement, so I had. Um, by the time they arrested Barkowitz, uh, I, I, I had no reason to believe there was uh, anything anything other than what I was reading in the paper and what the police were saying. Um, I will say, I will say that the night that they arrested Berkowitz and, uh, you know, they, they flashed his, his, uh, face on TV. Um, two things, two things went through my, went through my head. One was, you know, he, he didn't look like 
what I would think a serial killer looks like. You know, he didn't have the crazed eyes or or, or anything like that. Um, um, and and I guess even more importantly, he didn't even the person they were parading through police plaza didn't even look like uh, the sketches that they were, uh, you, you know, posting in the paper and and all over. Um, it was. You know, and every everyone, you know, even though no one really knew about uh, a conspiracy uh, or more than more than one person involved, uh, everyone that I know um, said the same thing. It's like that's not the guy. You know, um, in fact, uh, there's a there's a photo of uh, uh, when uh, of the press conference when they when they brought Berkowitz in, and they have a big like poster size uh, uh, photo of the sketch that they were. Uh, purporting to saying this this is the guy we're looking for and it's clearly not david berkowitz and uh, that didn't go unnoticed by the public but um uh but it didn't really gain any traction either right but those are very good reference points those sketches because you can still see that today that there's not they're not consistent with what david berkowitz looks like so you kind of went through that and there was i think you got some money from the uh, victims fund or something like that and everything changed for you in 1987, right? When something happened, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was kind of like, all right, you know, that wrong place, wrong time. Uh, I'm I'm no longer. I got an honorable discharge from the Air Force because they had no use for uh, somebody who was already injured, um, and I kind of went on with my life. Just saying, all right, you know, make uh, make lemonade when you get lemons. Um, but uh, 1987, I saw a little little uh, article in uh, in the Daily News saying that uh, this uh, investigative reporter wrote a book on the son of Sam. So of co- obviously, I was interested, and um, of course, I buy the book, and uh, it's 600 and I don't know 650 page book, and I, I finished it in in two days. Um, and it, it blew my mind because um, <clears throat> the first three quarters of the book um, explain um, explain what happened and um, and with, with in my opinion very con- uh, very conclusive proof that other people were involved. And what uh, was it? Or, what was what was it like reading your name in that book? I mean, well, l- luckily. Yeah. Luckily for me, for me, my, my name, my you know, my shooting um, uh, was was barely mentioned in Maury Terry's book, The Ultimate Evil, um, and that's mostly because um, it was the second, it, you know, it was, it was the second shooting. No one knew it was Son of Sam, um, and Rosemary and myself didn't see anything. Um, so there was no eyewitnesses. There was there's really nothing to go on except um, the remains of uh, you know the police went to to the site the next morning um, and uh, found you know found the um, you know you know the broken uh, auto glass. Uh, so that that's that, that's how they knew. I you know I told you know I told them what what street it was on, what corner it was on, and uh, so so uh, you know as as far as um, reading my name in the book, uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't traumatic at all because it was very short. But um, but it did, I guess it did give me pause for thought, saying you know that I'm you know luckily I'm alive, but I'm 
you know, I'm thrusting this this huge serial killer story, um, and uh, it, it's kind of a weird feeling. I I, I really can't explain it. Uh, I've I've dealt with it much better in later in life, um, you know, because I've I've facilitated back and forth between, you know, this is kind of cool, you know, my 15 minutes of fame to. You know, I, I one minute of fame is enough. I don't need fifteen. But here I am, forty-five years later, uh, right. still talking about it. So, but you're part of something that Eve Terry did, which is kind of this unraveling of the larger picture. Because uh, Ultimate Evil starts in Palo Alto, Mino, North Dakota. So there's these other connections. I'm I'm assuming you didn't know a lot of the occult connections or the multi-jurisdictional connections right until you were I, I, yeah I, I knew I knew um, almost nothing of any of that um, I did I did save a lot of uh, newspapers um, and uh, I still have them and uh, when I was writing my book I um, I used the newspaper clippings uh, from you know the day after a shooting uh, the whole you know his uh, Berkowitz's arrest and what have you, and there, there was there was some you know I see I see now there was some indications of you know satanic uh, or, or occultic um, uh, um, influence you know, aspects like to it, yeah. Um, but what really got what really got it going was was reading Maury Terry's book, and um, a little, little funny story. I I wound up meeting Maury. Um, I guess what six six years after the book came out, and uh, we were doing a TV TV show together, a Geraldo show, and uh, the one of the first things I said to him, and um, obviously I shook his hand and said, "Nice to meet you." But right after that, I said, "I loved your book," I said, but it should have been a hundred fifty page shorter, and uh, because you know if 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 you read the Ultimate Evil. Um, he really puts together, a, a, I think, a really strong case um, for for a conspiracy and how other people were involved in the New York City shootings. Um, but then he, you know, then he then he goes on to kind of tie in uh, some murders in California and uh, you know the process church with uh, with Manson, uh, with uh, you know with Charles Manson's uh, the family. Um, I'm not saying that's not true. Um, I, uh, I'm still 45 years later, I'm still not a hundred percent sold on that whole West coast, uh, portion of the book. Um, but, um, but that, you know, I, I told him, I said, you know, 150 pages too long, uh, because I, I think he, he, he certainly, he certainly threw some doubt into, into my mind. Um, but again, the, the, uh, you know, the first 500 pages, uh, I, I think is spot on and, um, further research uh, that I continued doing after I met Maury and worked with Maury for 20 years um, and then continued the research after his death in 2015. Um, there is, um, you know, it, 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 to me that it's beyond a reasonable doubt that other people were involved. Um, we, have, we, you know, we have so much circum. Maury laid out a lot of circumstantial information and we've, uh, when I say we, there's myself and, oh, I don't know, a couple hundred, uh, you know, uh, armchair uh, detectives who, uh, who, you know, are in interested in the case and, and, and do, uh, do research um, to this day. Can you talk about what Maury Terry was like and what your relationship and what you thought about his personality? 
Maury Terry. He, he, he was bigger than life. Um, he, uh, the way I look at it, he's, he's one of those kind of guys, and I think every neighborhood has one. Uh, half the town loves him, and the other the other half of the town can't stand him. And uh, it all de- it all depends what what perspective you're coming from. Um, you know, he was definitely a type A. Uh, I'm I'm in charge. It's my way or no way. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I I don't know if I'm making making more. He sounded like to be a bad guy because he certainly wasn't. If he was your friend, it, you you couldn't get a better friend. But if uh, if you if you crossed him, you probably couldn't have a worse enemy. You know? Yeah, he seems kind of very intense. And you guys kind of had. I think it was Harvey's you would meet every month or something in uh, oh, Kennedy's. Manhattan. Yeah, Kennedy's, yeah. Kennedy's bar on Fifty Seventh Street. Yeah, uh, that was um, that was that was uh, that was a lot of fun because Maury and I, uh, when I first met him, he he didn't even he didn't have a computer. He didn't didn't have the internet. Uh, didn't have a cell phone. Um, so we we would talk. After, you know, after we met, we, we became friends the night that we met. And uh, we we used to talk two or three times a week. <clears throat> um, right, and he would be angry if you didn't call him right back. He that. would get really pissed off. He was, you know, hey, you know, Carlos, where you where you been? He goes, you know, I've been trying to reach you, and it's like I knew my phone calls with Maury usually uh, lasted two to three hours, and uh, you know, at this point in the nineties, you know, I'm I'm married, I have a daughter, uh, I'm working full time, and I have a social life. And, uh, you know, if you ever had a, you know, if you had a, ever, ever had a three-year-old, um, getting a two-hour block to, uh, of time to yourself is, is, is difficult. But, uh, yeah, he, he would get really angry. And um, I didn't realize this until after his death, but when I, I started connecting with some of his uh, other friends, um, that we, you know, we all shared the same stories. It's like, you know, when Maury wanted to talk to you, you better be around because he wants to talk to you today, right now. And he was kind of like, this was his very, I mean, he was very focused just on this case. Wasn't he kind of a gumshoe reporter? Or he, was he still, when you met him, was he still working for the newspaper? I forgot which one that was. Well, he actually, what, what I, his career, he was a writer his whole his you know, professional career, but he, he worked for IBM oh. and, uh, he wrote, he wrote for IBM and, uh, you know, pretty much everything from, um, uh, I guess like sales brochures and, you know, uh, company correspondence. Uh, he, I know we did a few speeches for, uh, IBM executives. Uh, so he was always a writer. Um, and, uh, the son of Sam just, it just, it piqued his interest like it did most New Yorkers. Um, and, and, um, when he, um, when Berkowitz was, um, was arrested, that's when things really went in motion for Maury. Cause he just saw, uh, he just saw some things that just didn't make sense. And uh, we've touched on some of them already, you know, the sketches and, uh, and just the timing, uh, how, you know, you know, a serial killer, gets caught by parking in front of a fire hydrant you know i mean that that alone when you think about it uh, a serial killer that eluded the nypd for 13 months gets caught <laughs> parking parking his car in, in front of a fire hydrant that just to me it i mean it, that's very weak circumstantial uh, evidence but it, it certainly doesn't make sense um but anyway he um 
he that that's what got him got him going. Now after after he started uh, with the son of Sam, he you know uh, later later on in his career, he did work on other cases. He worked on the Atlanta child uh, murders. He worked on the OJ case. Um, uh, he 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 was writing a book on uh, Joel Steinberg. Um, but uh, that was never published, and um, unfortunately, I, w- I wasn't even aware of it until after his death. So I was never never able to ask him, like you know, what the deal was, uh, you know, with with uh, the Joel Steinberg book. Right, and that was the guy who what, beat up his wife, wasn't he? Like, uh, yeah, he well, actually he, he not only did he beat up his wife, but his uh, he was convicted of killing his daughter. Oh, that's um, right. You know, yeah, through really you know just through uh, neglect and uh, you know beat her, and I think she was handcuffed to a radiator when they found her. It's a very sad story. And so, you know, I mean, he he made these editorial decisions in his book to include all that other stuff. Did he ever regret? Involving Mino, to your knowledge, involving Mino in California and kind of broadening the case, or what are your thoughts uh, on that? Well, my my thoughts are, um, uh, you know, br- bringing in uh, North Dakota um, and Palo Alto uh, uh, w- was was pertinent to the case, and uh, you know, there, I mean, there are, you know, uh, for for example, uh, John Carr, who is you know one of the you know the the son of Sam Carr, uh, one of the twenty-two lived, sons uh, of hell, right? Right, well, lived, lived right around the corner from Berkowitz, uh, the the father. Um, you know, his son was stationed. Uh, his son John Carr was stationed in uh, Minot Air Force Base in uh, in in North Dakota. Um, you know, and again, we, you know, re- research uh, research that Maury did tied in tied in other people, um, some from New York who. Um, uh, you know, people. You know, people in in Minot uh, were interviewed by Maury, and they were interviewed by uh, by the local police department. And um, it, at least three of them uh, say you know that David Berkowitz was there, and and some other people from New York uh, were there. And uh, and apparently there was also um, occult rituals going on in um, in and around the uh, Minot Air Force Base. So. You know, I don't think it was a stretch at all, but that's that's my opinion. And Maury, I think he interviewed Berkowitz, but also I think Berkowitz was the one who turned him on to Arliss Perry, right? Yeah, that that's uh, I, yeah. The, the the story goes, and I'm not even sure what book it is, but uh, apparently Berkowitz wrote on uh, the side of uh, a page in a book. I'm not even sure what book it is, saying. Um, just mentioning, uh, I think you know, followed. I think it was fo- followed from North Dakota to to California, stalked and murdered uh, Arliss Perry. And um, the weird thing with that, and somehow the book was uh, um, taken out of prison, and the authorities got it. Um, and um, yes, I you know, I'm I'm not really sure, but what what would intrigue Maury about it was uh, Arliss Perry murder, murder happened in 74. Uh, the Son of Sam shooting started in 76. Um, and there really um, there, there really was no press on the Arliss Perry mur- murder in New York. Uh, as, as bad as it was and as, as gruesome as it was, 
um, it wasn't. Uh, I'm I'm sure, and you you could you could fill in the audience on this. Uh, I'm sure the Palo Alto uh, area. Um, there was quite a few stories on Olus Perry because yeah, it was, you know, a murder, a ritualistic murder happening in a in a church. Um, it's pretty big news, um, you know. But uh, but again, how would Berkowitz know about this? Uh, that, that was like Maury's big question. Um, and, so he thought he thought there was a tie to it. Um, and the, that memorial chapel where she was murdered is really the very epicenter of Stanford. It's in the quad. And it really, the whole school was built around that. So it was very, like, somebody had, to, I, I don't know if there's choice, but it's like, very, it's like, like, if you think of a university and it has an architecture or, or a spire or something that defines it, that right. was kind of the defining thing other than the Hoover Tower for Stanford. So it's really very bold. And I, I told you in the pre-show, I have a connection to that. I've written articles about that. I'll post them in the show notes. Yeah. Even, even before I've interviewed people about Son of Sam, just because... Uh, the ritualistic, and then October twelfth, which is Hurley's birthday, which is a right. weird. It, it's it's definitely there's definitely a lot of uh, uh, you know symbology in in that in that murder. Just you know the way the boy the body was found, what was done to her, um, the fact that it was Crowley's birthday, um, and and it, it, don't get me wrong, I, I'm not I'm not poo pooing this theory, um, but. I, you know, you, you have to you have to realize that this the Son of Sam case has a lot of tentacles, and uh, I have chosen because because of how I was thrust into this uh, story, um, I, I've chosen to to devote most almost all of my uh, research to the actual shootings and and people in the New York area that were involved. Um, obviously in some cases I had to go out of the New York area, uh, like, you know, as we mentioned earlier in North Dakota. Um, but I, I haven't really spent a whole lot of time, uh, with, with the Orles Perry thing. I, I know there's, you know, um, uh, what, what's his name? Um, Steve Crawford. Right. All right. Uh, you know, that, I mean, I, I know, uh, the police say it's solved, um, right. you know, but I, it's you almost know, like Berkowitz over again, right? Oh, we well, got our man. Well, We're done. Yay. Thank over. you for saying it because yeah. that, that's that's actually where I'm going to. It's like I don't have enough time to 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 devote to the Arles Perry case because I'm I'm knee deep in the Son of Sam case, and uh, you know for for anyone that's interested, um, you know the Arles Perry case is. Uh, uh, the ending of the Oros Perry case is probably more interesting than the beginning of it because the police say the case is solved because the guy uh, shot himself. I can't. Yeah, I can't even say a suspect because it's my understanding they didn't. They, they didn't have an arrest warrant. They had a search warrant, um, and this is you know forty years after after the uh, murder. Um, so I'm not really sure. Uh, and he he was you know the, I mean he was a security guard the night that Arliss was murdered and it took forty years for them to come right. talk to him right. and I, he I, had a copy of the Ultimate Evil in his apartment too. So. Well, that that's what they said. That that's what the uh, I believe it was the police chief um, said. Uh, yeah, in a box in his closet, he had a copy of. But you know what? I, you know, and again, I'm not poo pooing it, but Maury Terry's uh, The Ultimate Evil was. Uh, I think it was in its fifth edition. It was a bestseller. So um, I have three copies here. So, so that, you know, that, that doesn't make me a suspect in anything. <laughs> I think the most recent edition is 2021. I was just looking at it on Amazon 
and it's got 689 five-star reviews. Yeah. So, uh, yes. That actually, um, uh, Josh Zeman, who, who did the, uh, sons of Sam document, uh, Netflix documentary. Um, he, uh, he got the book, uh, reprinted. Um, it's been out of print since I believe 2004. Um, so he wrote a new, um, um, introduction and, and basic, basically, I, I, I've read the introductions. It's, it's basically an introduction to the Sons of Sam Netflix documentary. Um, the rest of the book is, is, is the same book um, that Maury Terry wrote, um, the last edition. I and, believe it's the fifth edition. The good news is you can get it for you know $15 instead of uh, $800 on, <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> the Kindle, Kindle price right now is $399. That's very reasonable for a 700-page book. Um, it is. You, I actually, I might even, I might even uh, have to uh, buy the, uh, the the audio version because I'm finding it a lot easier when I'm working, um, doing my regular day job. Uh, I wind up listening to a lot of podcasts and stuff, and that that might be be a bad idea. Sitting down yeah. reading The Ultimate Evil for the fifteenth time, um, I, I just tend to skim over it because I've read it so many times and I'm so familiar with it. But uh, that might not be a bad idea. And you, um, I mean, you, he gave you a name for your research group, though. It's something Irregulars, right? Isn't that it? Yeah, he, uh, he, he kind of nicknamed us the, uh, the Pine Street Irregulars. Uh, obviously, Pine Street, uh, is a street that David Berkowitz lived on. And, uh, you know, it was a play on the Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of Sherlock Holmes, so I, I don't fully understand the, um, the, uh, the joke, but it's, uh, um, Apparently, Sherlock Holmes hit, uh, had some kind of something irregulars, uh, you know, his research group or his but investigative that, group. But that was really you. I mean, you've done that in your book. You lay out the police version of events and then your research into what really happened. Can you talk about the distinctions between? Sure, the- sure. That that uh, believe it or not, that kind of came that kind of came by mistake. Um, I, I wanted to write a book. Um, my daughter, my daughter had did a short film uh, on me. Um, basically, the night I was shot to the day we found out it was the serial killer, and uh, she was a film student at Brooklyn College. And she uh, to write her script, she uh, interviewed me extensively, and she asked me questions that I, I don't think anyone ever asked me, and and the answers were foreign to me. And uh, it really got me thinking. And by the time she was done, by the time she made her movie, um, she convinced me that um, I had a story to tell. So I started writing, and um, I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be a Son of Sam book. I wanted it to be, you know, a Son of Sam survivor story. That You know, my life, uh, 45 years being, being involved one way or another in the Son of Sam investigation. And um, after I got through my uh, introduction, which uh, I think is the, probably the best part of the book, or, that's the part I like the best anyway, um, just describing who I was, how I was, you know, back when I was 20 years old, um, I realized that how can I explain to people my relationship with Maury Terry, the, the whole Son of Sam thing, without explaining Son of Sam? So I started writing and I, and I, I felt like I was just like writing 
like a newspaper article going, you know, and, and this is what happened. I said, how, how else can I explain, you know, these, these, uh, uh, you know, supposedly random shootings that were happening like uh, every two or three months um, without actually explaining um, the son of Sam story. So I came up with this idea of, of you know, let, let, let me write, let me write it, um, each shooting and explain it as it was, as it was explained to me via newspapers and uh, the police and, uh, and the six o'clock news. So, so that's what I did. And, you know, inter- interspersed, I, I talk about, you know, uh, my feelings and, and, you know, and again, you know, uh, you know my relationship with Maury. Um, you have to realize that, you know, I went through this whole thing without knowing Maury. I didn't meet Maury until 1994. Um, and then, you know, so I, after I went through all the shootings and I kind of go back and, and revisit each of the shootings and point out, um, obviously I don't bore the reader, uh, with, with the same exact story, but I go through each of the shootings using the information that, um, we, we as a group have come up with since, since the incident and, um, and also, you know, point pointing out, um, you know, different different clues uh, that that I believe the police missed or just ignored. Right. So you go in detail on that. I mean, there's a lot of information in this book, a lot of new information, stuff that I learned that I didn't know. I think it's also your relationship with Maury Terry. Um, is there anything? We're at almost at 40 minutes. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap it up? Um, no, I. Um... I mean, it's a great, it's a great book for your first yeah, effort. I highly I, I recommend hope people, this book. I hope people buy the book. It's available through, uh, through Amazon and, uh, and the publishers, uh, wild blue press. And I'd be remiss if I didn't thank, uh, my, uh, my new friend, uh, Brian Whitney, who, uh, um, helped me write this, uh, it, it, believe me, it's all, it's all, it's all me. When you read it and, and you listen to this interview, you, you're going to, you're going to see that I wrote it, but uh, Brian was very good at, at capturing uh, the essence of me, the way I talk, the way I explain things, and putting it into a readable readable book. Right. And I mean, right now it has 76 five-star ratings, and it is on Amazon. And uh, uh, Brian, and your daughter, too, are, uh, deserves some kudos, too, for getting you to write it, right? Oh, yes. Yes. So she's, she's cool uh, yeah. <laughs> She's okay, my inspiration. <laughs> and where's you? Do you have social media or anything you'd like to share if people want to reach out to you? Um, I, you know, I, I uh, yes, the, I'll give you my email address. Okay. It's uh, cdx, the number two, us at yahoo.com. Gotcha. Um, I do, I do have an email that's in the book, uh, but for some reason it's not working. And to be quite honest with you, um, I, I've gotten, I've gotten like 10 messages. I get more messages through the email I just gave you. I've gotten like 10 messages on that email. So I'm not even, I haven't even, you know, tried to figure out why it's not working right, but sure, you sure. can contact me there. And of course I'm on Facebook, so you can always, uh, look me up. Um, if you Google my name, I'm all over the place. Yeah, it's I'm very easy to find. Right. I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but. <laughs> One more question. What did you think about the Sons of Sam documentary? Were you a fan or did you have reservations or criticisms of it? Did well, you watch it? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I. I'm, I'm OK. The, the first thing is I'm very glad that um, that 
it was made because it was the first time a documentary about the Son of Sam was made where I didn't, we didn't have to run interference with, um, with naysayers. And, and for the most part, I'm talking about law enforcement. Um, you know, for years, uh, Maury, myself, and other people just did battle with the NYPD, you know, um, trying to get out the, um, uh, the information about other people being involved. And then, you know, being on the same show as, as the NYPD and like Joe Coffey, Joe Pirelli saying ah, that, you know, Maury Terry's, you know, he's just a crazy conspiracist. You know, Carl doesn't know what he's talking about. He didn't see anything. Um, it's all, it's all garbage. We got our man. He's in jail. Case closed. Uh, this is the first time that um, Joe Borelli was on the documentary and, um, based on all the information that that josh seaman put in the documentary uh, uh joe Borelli didn't really come off looking all that um sure about himself so that that part was good on the negative side um if i was doing that film i i uh i you know i i wouldn't have um i wouldn't have made it as uh dreary as uh as it seems like, you know, Maury, Maury Terry was not a hermit that, you know, he had, he definitely had some physical issues. Uh, I didn't see him for the last five years. Uh, you know, that part, that all that part's true. I'm just not sure um, it was all that important to the story. But with that said, you have to realize um, art, writing a book, making a movie, making a documentary is very subjective. And, um, when it's your movie, you get to do it the way you want to do it. So I, I have no, I have no complaints uh, to Josh Seaman. I would have done it different, but so would everyone else. Um, so overall, overall, I would give it, um, I don't know, a nine out of ten. Pretty good. And at yeah. the very end, there's that sequence with Crawford where the police are there going to uh, to arrest him for or this yeah. or whatever the search warrant. So. Really interesting. It's great to talk with you, Carl Denaro. Really appreciate your time. Again, the title of the book is The Son of Sam and Me, The Truth About Why I Wasn't Shot by David Berkowitz. It can be found on Amazon with 76 five-star reviews right now. Thanks so much for your time. All Stay right. There. Thank you. Take care. Stay there. Stay there. All right. Cool.